You're listening to Brand to Brand, a B2B marketing show that's safe enough for work, but not safe enough to be on the radio. With your host, Thomas Sterling. Hey, everybody. Today on the show, we're talking about user acquisition. We're looking at Uber and Airbnb to examine the challenges that venture-funded growth companies are facing in the fight for market share. All right, let's sharpen the axes and get ready for a fight to the death. This show is proudly sponsored by... Do we have anyone? Uh, Hold on, let me check with our producer. Uh, 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 He is really shaking his head now. Okay, so in that case, it's proudly sponsored by Sterling Brandworks, a web and digital marketing company based just north of Boston. So give him a call and don't mention that we sent you. (laughs) Don't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So give them a call and mention us for $12 off your first purchase of a Slurpee or more. (laughs) Welcome back, everyone. You know, Silicon Valley venture capitalists have funded companies like Uber and Airbnb for years, and these companies have grown to become an investor's dream. Sometimes called the unicorn, their sole focus is growth, growth mode, baby. But the flip side of that is They are part of a growing number of companies that never, or perhaps too late, consider profitability in their business model. We're starting to see the rubber meet the road with these companies, and it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt. Any thoughts on this, V, before we get into it? I'm mad. I'm a little mad. (laughs) You're angry? Because some of the companies that we're talking about, I feel like acquired me as a user with this low price to enjoy their service, and now all of a sudden, the prices are doubled, they're jacked up, and I find myself, it feels like a betrayal. I'm no, I'm no longer loyal to these brands. I am starting to look elsewhere. Mm. You're, um, you're shopping. You're yeah, going it's back almost out like, to the market. It's like getting your, your customers hooked on crack uh, and then Whoa. jacking up the price of that. Jeez. It's not fair. There's an article that actually recently came out in the New York Times by Kevin Ruse that kind of speaks to what you're talking about. It's called Farewell Millennial Lifestyle Subsidies. It's a great read for anybody that hasn't checked it out. In the article, he talks specifically about how many of these companies, many of these brands created this golden age of millennial subsidized services. Basically, they were using investor capital to drive down the cost of all of these things. Cheap rides, Uber, Lyft, etc. Cheap stays at Airbnb that hotels couldn't really compete with. And for a long time, we got used to that. And that really furnished a lifestyle. He talks in the article quite a bit about what that lifestyle looks like. Yeah, he said it was you're like living the Balenciaga lifestyle on a Banana (laughs) Republic budget. And that's why I'm mad, Thomas. (laughs) I got used to this bougie lifestyle and now I'm seeing it slip away. What, am I going to take a cab with the plebeians? Oh, man. And how many times have you tried to catch an Uber or hail a ride and it takes three times as long because people just aren't doing it. They're not taking the risk. Pandemic has definitely caused some That's market shifts here for sure. I like to think of it as, or I don't like to think of it this way, but I would say it's cleaned out everyone's rainy day funds. And I'm sure a lot of these investors are starting to say, okay, enough about the user acquisition here. Talk to me about how you've grown your profitability. And with that, let's get into it. Uh, let's get her. Boom, Airbnb, Uber. Who are you taking? I am going to book an Airbnb. Nice. 
I've used Airbnb more than Uber, or at least I associate Airbnb with a more luxurious part of my lifestyle. And Uber is like getting me point A to B, which is really important. That's great, but that's more of a necessity and less of a luxury, whereas Airbnb has given me access to stay in homes that I never would dream of being able to stay in. It has given me the Balenciaga lifestyle on a Banana Republic budget. Like a treehouse? Yeah, I've stayed in multiple <laughs> treehouses. This has become a thing that my lovely boyfriend and I do for our anniversary every year. Um, I would never get to stay in a treehouse. Ho- like, the Sheridan doesn't own a hotel of just tree houses. That's not something that was accessible to me before. So it gave me this sense of luxury that I didn't have. And now I'm finding, I'm starting to try to book them and I am shocked at how much the price has skyrocketed. And I'm starting to go back to staying in inns and hotels. It's kind of changed the game. You're starting to see hotels that are very millennial-centric as well with all these other fringe benefits and other things. And maybe it's a positive thing for hospitality. It's certainly created a tremendous amount more rooms. They're the largest hospitality company, I believe, if you can count the sheer number of properties that they manage. Because it's not even properties that they technically manage. They make a profit off of commission from each booking of properties they never have to touch. It's incredible. Started by three gents uh, in 2008. It was an online marketplace for lodging and they have gained traction with an ethos, which is Growth at all costs. Now, weren't they originally more geared towards renting couches yeah, on the platform? It was definitely like started as like a couch surfing vibe. I, I rented a couch once in Nashville That's, on a trip. Wow. I stayed on this guy's couch. It was a lot of fun. I would have done that. I looked at because there's couch surfing websites when I was in New Orleans for Mardi Gras by accident. Don't ask me <laughs> how I planned that. Um, and there was nowhere to stay in the entire city. So I slept in my car. <laughs> Didn't get a good night's rest. Oh, but that's not Would have preferred an Airbnb. But. Did you get to catch the parade? <laughs> um, part of it, yes. From your car? Um, I just <laughs> drove in the parade. I joined it and then took a nap after. <laughs> but it's fascinating. Um, Air- Airbnb has been close to my heart. Um, during the pandemic, they significantly lost business. I know mm-hmm. a big part of the shift is related to the pandemic as I think we're going to see the lasting butterfly effect of impacts from this for a while. We will probably be talking about it, but they lost 80% of their business. When times are good, times are good. And it's easy to just keep things like subsidies rolling. And now that they're starting to see an increase in demand, you're going to see an increase in that price. They need to make up for all that lost ground. I was doing some research for this episode, and I thought one of the things that stood out to me around Airbnb and Uber was the sort of darker side. Mm. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's there's totally a dark side to Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's stuff that we're not hearing about that they are quietly kind of sweeping under the rug. Um, in recent years, they have spent $50 million in payouts, claiming they're strictly for property damage, where we now know some of these, one story in particular was about quieting an assault that took place where a girl rented an Airbnb and was assaulted. And they quietly settled that out of the public eye, which devil's advocate, if you're a brand, makes sense. But also, we're hearing it now. Kind of shitty of you. (laughs) Kind of shitty. (laughs) I mean, they have a whole task force. I'm not sure if that's what they refer to it internally, but of these fixers that come into a situation. There was a situation, I think maybe the story that I shared with you, but um, where they flew the young woman's mom into town, addressed all of the things, and really just tried to support them as much as they could. 
And it's a tough situation for a brand like that. You're literally giving up a part of your home. And in some cases, especially like the couch surfing, the shared rooms, whatever, there's a lot of legal exposure there. I, I don't know. I mean, if you were hearing and sitting in that pitch, you know, pro probably there were a few people in the room that, uh, that were thinking, maybe this isn't such a good idea. There's an early investor in Uber, actually, who was going to consider investing in Airbnb and thought the business model was too dangerous and believed it was only a matter of time that an issue happened. It sounds like he put his money on Uber, which is a much safer experience. <laughs> <laughs> I met Travis, the C the like one of the founders. Uh, I saw him speak at an event once. I mean, I didn't really like shake his hand. We didn't hang out, but I saw him speak and it was a very captivating. <laughs> did he give you a ride somewhere? He did not give me a ride. No, no, no. He got in his Uber and <laughs> Black car, baby. He uses Lyft. Let's be honest. <laughs> this presentation, he was talking through the future of people not having cars and everybody using Uber for everything and them helping single-handedly end congestion in cities because people would not necessarily have cars. They'd be able to manage the demand. People could do ride sharing. Ride sharing takes more cars off the road. He's a very captivating guy. You've heard, if we want to talk about the not so positive sides, lots of shady things happening at Uber corporate <laughs> though. Lawsuits, sexual assaults, mm. all sorts of other things as well. I remember hearing some of that about some stuff happening with women and it kind of sounded like you couldn't really find information on it. It was like friends telling friends and then it was like, is this a rumor? Is this real? Both of these companies are so much in growth mode that they are grabbing by the reins and trying to dispel any misinformation, any negative information, etc. Like you said, they are PR powerhouses. Uber is definitely guilty of uh, the subsidies model and when they... They've been offering these crazy subsidies to get people into the platform. I know people that have driven for Uber before that started with just doing it as a fun side gig on the weekends because there's gamification. They keep they keep their drivers engaged and out there. And they they have all these predictive algorithms and models to know how to meet their demand. Coming out of the pandemic, their big challenge is getting drivers back on the roads with all these governmental subsidies that are competing for their driver pool. People that could work, uh, that could earn more by not working and not being a part of the labor force. But I mm. think as that evolves and as they're able to get more drivers out there that may allow them to balance things out. But in the short term, you're seeing more expensive Ubers, you're seeing longer wait times, and it's really challenging their business model. The pandemic across the board is just leading to an increased price uh, in traveling because everything kind of came to a halt. And Uber now is just unable to meet the high demand and they're kind of forced to raise their prices, but they may never come back down. That's what that's I think where my disdain lies is like I feel like we're in this now. Maybe I should have some more empathy that they're just trying to get by. They have a, they have people they're paying. I mean, you said you're feeling the heat. It'd probably be helpful uh, to share like the average Uber and Lyft ride, you're not wrong, has gone up more than 40% from what it was a year ago. Um, and this is actually another New York Times article that I'm sourcing here. We'll put it in the show notes, but I think that's just speaks volumes to the fact that these companies have come in, they've displaced the existing industry model, the hotels, the other traditional places for you to stay, the taxis. Think about the price of the medallion that uh, you could get now in New York. It's just absolutely fallen to sort of record lows. And it'll be interesting to see if Uber has to charge a fair price and their uh, investors are no longer kind of splitting the bill with you when you're in the back. That's so fascinating. I think that there's 
uh, a lot of people, maybe not a lot, but some people who might be listening who weren't aware that was a thing. Like that's how these companies are able to come in and control the market and almost have a monopoly because they're charging such a low price. It's like, how am I getting this? But knowing they're splitting the bill with their investor, that money's going to dry up. If they can keep that customer adoption curve to just keep going to the moon, then they'll keep getting people to invest because at the end of the day, it's just like uh, Facebook or Google, you're starting to see, and you've seen with these tech companies, their value is in their users. It is not in profitability. One other stat on money while we're there, Uber actually recently just set up a $250 million driver stimulus fund. They're working hard to get people back to work. And so you got to give them a little bit of credit there. So that, that's great. I don't really know what you can do as Airbnb because you're still asking people to open up their home. But the cool destinations that attract you, the tree houses, no one's living in that freaking tree house. I hate to yeah, burst the bubble there. You don't there. think? No. I don't think they're just having a nice, quiet life in a tree. Was it cluttered? Did it look like anyone lived there? It wasn't cluttered. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I guess it wasn't lived in. It had a composting toilet, so I can imagine that wasn't a long time Probably not a full-time thing. Yeah. No. And I think a lot of people get into the Airbnb business. I had a friend. He got into, first he bought a bunch of property in Dallas. He started renting it out. Then he got this shipping container, like tiny home delivered, and he was renting that thing out. A lot of people are looking for these unusual stays. That's it. The unusual, the unique stay, which you can now filter your experience by, which is great. There's something nice about going to a hotel, checking in, not having to have a conversation with anybody. And there's always going to be a place for that. And then Airbnb delivers on something where it's like, hey, you got a big group. You want a pool. You want to be able to grill. You want to be able to do your own thing. Choose your own adventure. If you're with a group, Airbnb wins all day long. Yeah. Oh, did I just catch you saying that Airbnb wins? Could we just edit that part out? Oh, so is that what I've you wanted to hear? I've won the brand showdown. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You heard it here first. Spoiler <laughs> alert. I love both of these brands for their place in the market. I think they've done positive things. Uber might not be my favorite ride share. I love what Lyft tried to do. It's sad to me to see every Lyft driver I get in when I try to be a Lyft fan and it just has an Uber sticker in the front as well because it just seems like all the drivers are driving <laughs> for everybody and just taking advantage of these subsidies to bring it full circle. Yeah, They're getting whatever, paid more to drive here. To the pink mustache. Come on, Lyft. I don't know. You don't see a lot of that anymore. <laughs> or the little personal greeting sign that scrolls your name across when you get in. Whoa, what's that? Welcome, Veronica. You haven't seen I those? I don't like that. Get rid of that. <laughs> Nix that if you're listening, whoever came up with that idea. <laughs> so if we're going to talk about any other brands today on the show, uh, I thought it'd be worth talking about a couple of these other companies that we would consider to be in this sort of new age wave of growth. Are you in the scooter market? Have you ever rented a scooter? Have you ever used a scoot? Bird, lime. Nope. I don't think I am a scooter person. Well, you know, they're not here locally, but if you go out to California, if you travel to other kind of fun destinations, hubs, cities, cities where traffic is a challenge, mm. you'll see these scooters throughout to solve for that challenge. Right. I've seen the bike shares. The only difference there is that company also owns and controls the inventory. Mm -hmm. It's not predicated on somebody else renting out or driving somebody in their car. That's true. Which is different, very interesting. Different business model and arguably a more challenging business model where you see people stealing scooters, dropping scooters into the water. I've seen this water. with bicycles and it's like they're like, left. you just leave it anywhere? Anywhere you want. It's the wild, wild west. So that's why a lot of cities have banned them. But if we talk about bird 
as of 2019, Bird was losing $9.66 for every $10 it made on rides. And again, this is when they're selling investors on this <sighs> big growth curve trajectory. Tough, tough situation. That's tough. Makes it hard. It's a really, it's a dogfight for competition right now. And some of these brands that are well funded are doing whatever it takes to grow. Yeah. And Bird's actually turning it around. I mean, I don't know what was going on during the pandemic, but um, they're they're starting to see a profit now going from nine dollars and sixty six cents in twenty nineteen to a dollar forty three for every ten dollar ride. It sounds like they raised their prices, uh, which is something we keep hearing. But then also building more durable scooters since people were leaving them literally wherever or doing whatever they want with them. And you understand the other half of the model, right? The other half is that people go around and charge these things and get paid to charge them and then put them back on the streets, which is right. super weird when you see a shady guy with a van, throw his van open, and he starts going and collecting right. every single scooter around. You're like, <laughs> is this guy, does this guy work for them? What's going on here? Is this okay? No wonder their business was failing in 2019. People were just stealing all of their Should shit. Should I be reporting this <laughs> in the app? And now for something completely different. Well, we talked about some major players, some unicorn startups, companies that have had that absolute hockey stick growth. How do we distill that down for the listener? Well, those of you that have a startup, maybe a venture funded startup, consider what your pathway to profitability is. Get ahead of it because at the end of the day, user acquisition gets investors excited, but... When times change or your series A, B, C, wherever you are, runs out, then it's going to be time to get serious and show some profits. So always, always be just thinking about what you can do to maintain or get to or achieve profitability. And stories like Bird show you that, you know, sometimes you put the work out and you, and you get there. And maybe that's just sometimes a part of it because at the end of the day, if you don't grow big enough then someone else is going to eat up your lunch. But for those of you that are in a traditional business that isn't necessarily venture-funded, self-funded, etc., when was the last time you took a hard look at your profitability by business category? Sometimes when you take a hard look, there's losing divisions of your business that you are providing subsidies for with some of your other services. And maybe it's time to raise prices. This is an opportunity for you to revisit what your pricing models are. And that's the next piece. Examine what that pricing model is. If there's a better way to lay out your products or services, your add-ons, et cetera, the more clarity you can have there, the easier it is for people to understand, and that makes it easy for them to buy. So if you had to take anything away from this episode, it's that I really like hanging out in tree houses. <laughs> I slept on a couch once. <laughs> and Tom slept on a couch. <laughs> But no, really, planning is critical. The pandemic has caused a radical shift in how we're doing business in every industry. That's fine. We're not saying you don't have a plan. We're not saying you should lie to your investors. We're just saying you shouldn't keep profitability on the back burner while you're also focused on growth, which is very important. Speaking of growth, user acquisition is fantastic, but you should always think beyond it. 
Just because you've acquired the user in the beginning, their early adopter, doesn't necessarily mean that you have guaranteed this like long-term use or that you've established brand loyalty because you hooked them right from the beginning. You still owe it to maybe not drastically shift your business model while they're really into liking your platform. Strong point there. At the end of the day, just because you've paid to acquire the user and sometimes you've paid handsomely to acquire that user doesn't mean you can't lose them with some bad business decisions. <laughs> and with that... We're out, folks. Thanks so much for listening to Brand to Brand. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and don't keep us a secret. Tell your friends. Brand to Brand.